This is Patrick Bay David, your host of ITM. In today's episode, I'm going to talk to you about the history of U.S. Iran conflict. You know, and going back, not just in the last 10, 20 years, we got to go back 60, 70, 80 years to see what is really causing all this stuff. So by the time it's done with, whether you're from Iran or Middle Eastern or not, you're going to sit there and say, I've never heard of some of these things before, and it's starting to make some sense to me. So here's what we're going to cover in today's episode. Number one is current Iran state of economy. How bad is it over there? Is it as bad as people make it out to be? Number two, relevant countries that have to do with everything that's going on with Iran continuously. Then timeline, because a lot of times when we look at what's going on today, how do we get to where we are today? So we'll kind of roll back all the way back to 1908. And then what presidents in U.S. did well with leaders or prime ministers of Iran? And then my final thoughts on what I think is taking place and how some things will change and some things may not change. And the one thing you don't hear a lot of people talk about that keeps capping into Iran, and there's a reason for We'll talk about that at the end of the episode. So let's get right into it. Current state of economy in Iran. Number one. Unemployment rate currently for young Iranians is 27%, and those graduating from universities, 40%. So that's not a good thing right there when you're looking at that because people cannot find jobs, especially the youth. Number two, inflation is estimated to be at 40%, although Professor Steve Hankey from John Hopkins University, who was a senior economist to President Reagan, says there's no way in the world it's at 40%. It's at least at 250%, but again, 40 to 250% is still terrible for any country. On top of that, families who want to go feed their kids today, in the last 12 months, meat prices are up 57%, milk and egg up 37%, vegetables up 47%. That's basic shopping. Outside of that, their currency, the real, has lost 60% of its value against the US dollar in the last 12 months. Today, a dollar equals 42,000 rials. Some are even saying they're spending over 100,000 rials per dollar. And last but not least, in this category with oil, they've lost $10 billion of revenues in oil in the last 12 months. I'll give you some data for you to be thinking about it. From May of 2018 to October of 2018, comparing that five-month run to November of 2018 to March of 2019, here's how many barrels they sold in the first five months versus the second five months. Ready? First five months to China, they were selling 590,000 barrels a day to China. The second five months, only 360,000. To India, 563,000 barrels per day to only 300,000. Japan was buying 149,000 barrels per day to 50,000. Taiwan was doing 32,000 barrels a day to zero. Turkey was doing 120,000 barrels a day to 73,000. Greece was doing 85,000 barrels a day to zero. And Italy was doing 121,000 barrels a day to zero. This is real stuff here. I mean, imagine you're selling a product and you're selling so much of it, all of a sudden everything flips nearly 50%, 80%. No one's ordering oils from you anymore. Why is that? So if Iran was a business, they're about to go out of business if they go out to space. I mean, you cannot go all of a sudden with all these customers are buying your products and suddenly 50%, 70% is down. This is not a good thing for a business, let alone a nation that needs to figure out a way to feed families and support and create jobs, right? But every time you see a story like this, you gotta look behind closed doors to see who's pulling strings. 
Is there anybody that's influencing this? And here's some of the countries I want you to be thinking about. U.S., obviously, U.K., Israel, Saudi Arabia, and then you got Russia, Venezuela, and Lebanon. Obviously, Lebanon, because Lebanon and Iran share a common enemy, which is Israel. An enemy of an enemy is a friend. So Israel is an enemy to Iran, and Israel is an enemy to Lebanon, which means they're allies. And I think in 2008, the president of Lebanon went to Tehran and struck a deal economically and military. And, you know, they both kind of have things that they like, right? So you got to kind of look at some of these countries. But let's go back in timeline and see how this whole thing came about. Obviously, there are certain things that are causing this. But let's go back to 1908. 1908, Anglo-Persian oil company gets started, right? People find that Iran's got some oil. Oh, my gosh. What if? And, you know, every time this happens, money, opportunity, greed. We got to get a hold of this. What if we can get some money here? And at that time, Iran doesn't have all the technology to be able to get the oil. And UK did. Britain did. So they came in. We'll help you. But they struck a deal with them in 1914. They came in and they say, we'll help you. But we want to own 50% of all of it. Imagine, you are Iran. It's your country. It's your oil. But Britain strikes a deal with you to own 51% of it. And this is the whole Anglo-Persian oil company we're talking about, which later on in 1954, they changed the name to BP, British Petroleum. You've heard about them, right? So that's 1914. Now, let's talk about some of the leaders. 1925 to 1941, Reza Khan, Reza Shah Pahlavi, who is Mohammad Reza Pahlavi's father, becomes the Shah of Iran from 1925 to 1941. Then in 1941, he appoints his son. His son becomes the Shah, and he stays from 1941 to 1979. This is very important to know why this is taking place from the father to the son. The father had a very strong military. He was a great general. He was a warrior, tough guy, would push people around. Everybody respected him from his military you know, record that he had. And his son was a little bit different. His son spoke six or seven languages. He, he was more of the better, well-spoken politician, a little bit gentler, a different kind of approach he had, but he was in his father's shadow. So he comes and takes over, right? Then in 1951, Mossadegh, who in Iran comes out and becomes the prime minister of Iran, he comes out and says, we got to nationalize this oil situation. Why are we giving it to Britain? Why are we giving him so much money? Britain gets upset and similar to sanctions, Britain imposes embargo and halt exports, which is not really good because, again, Iran cannot make money because people are not buying products. And Mossadegh, to kind of make a comparison of who Mossadegh was, Mossadegh was a socialist, similar to like a Bernie Sanders with the communistic party in Iran today really liked him and they supported him. So some say he was a communist. He says, I'm not a communist, but some said he is a communist. So there was kind of that going on. And Britain's obviously not happy about it. So in 1953, CIA and MI6, which is the British intelligence, they team up together to create a coup. And what happens? They kick Mossadegh out. And Mossadegh ends up going and living in a small town away from everybody in a place, doesn't bother no one. They just kind of wanted to get rid of him. And he goes out there and he's gone, right? So then the Reza, Reza Pahlavi comes back, Mohammed Reza Pahlavi. They liked him because he was good with the Western nations. Goes back and starts creating commerce, money, all that stuff. Goes back to where it was at before. By the way, CIA document released 60 years later validates that the coup did take place influenced by CIA and the MI6. These documents are now public. You can actually go look at them. So 1963, the Shah, he comes out and he says, look, he gets inspired. 
He sees what's going on in America with capitalism, with education. He says, I want to do a similar thing. He admired what the West was doing. And a lot of Iranians didn't like his level of admiration for U.S., right? So he comes out and launches this program called the White Revolution. And here's what some of the things happened from 1963 to 1978 because of him launching this White Revolution. Number one. Iran students, the illiterate rate was very, very high in Iran. People couldn't read, people couldn't write, and it was something everybody talked about. He took it from 1.5 million students in 1963 in all of Iran to over 10 million students by the time 1978 came around. Total schools multiplied 3.24 times. Schools all over the place because he understood the value of education in order to increase the economy of a nation. Education-wise, they were spending 45 billion rials from 63 to 67, raised it to 173 billion rials from 68 to 72, and eventually 551 billion rials from 73 to 77. The one thing that he did that he didn't like that was taking place in Iran, he wanted to give a lot of women's rights back to them. So, women's right to vote. You know, woman's right to run for office, be a lawyer, be a judge. Be, before that, they couldn't do it. And on top of that, this one's going to sound strange to a lot of people. I advise you to go actually research this. He increased woman's age, legal age of getting married to 15 because it used to be 13. And by the way, I think today it's back down to 13. And even some men can go petition to even marry younger than 13. He raised it to 15. So you're looking at some of this stuff and people are saying that really took place. Yes, go do your own research. You'll see it for yourself. Obviously, Iran's personal income, the citizens went up tremendously. And oil revenue went from $555 million in a year to $20 billion in 1976. So you can see Iran's becoming stronger and stronger and stronger with this white revolution that he announced, right? So even though at this point Shah's getting a lot of attention because the economy's doing good, people are making money, there is still a community of people that don't like what he's doing. Extreme conservatives where, why are women getting so much power? You know, why are they taking down their scarf? You know, the Rusari, why are they taking it down? I don't want that. This is not what Iran's about. We're becoming too American. Our kids are losing control. They're too free. I don't want to see any discuss. So the spiritual leaders were not too happy about the Shah, right? And the Shah had a, his own method of secret service called the Savak. And the Savak sometimes was pushing around the two-day party, and he had 3,000 political prisoners that he was hanging on to. And at this point, the Shah is doing interviews on TV, and he's coming across a little bit too confident, okay? And he's saying stuff about blue-eyed people, and the brown-eyed people are teaching the blue-eyed people stuff. And, you know, all this stuff is taking place because the blue-eyed people are taking too many sleeping pills, and, you know, they're not really as focused as we are. And one day we're going to be one of the most powerful nations in the world, top five, passing possibly UK. He's saying this in interviews. And you can tell when you're looking at him, he's, he's a little bit proud about what's going on. And maybe to the point where it's rubbing certain people the wrong way, right, is what he's doing. So whenever you do that sometimes, there's going to be some people that are secretly creating a certain rising, right? They're getting a little bit upset with you and they're not happy about the kind of power you have. So in 1978, here's what happens. While this is going on, Jimmy Carter, December 31st of 1977, he comes and they do a toast, okay? Hey, Iran's an incredible empire, and Jimmy Carter says some nice words about the Shah with the toast. Jimmy Carter leaves. The moment he leaves, slowly things start happening in Iran. And it gets started with a 
Ayatollah Khomeini, who was in exile for 14 years from Iran, and he first went to Iraq, and now he's living in France, in Paris, and he starts making tapes. And they record these tapes, and they bring it underground to Iran. And they distribute it to 10 people, then 100 people, then 1,000 people, then 10. Hey, go, keep, keep copying it. Keep copying and give it to people. Keep copying and giving it to people. And it goes to 100,000, then all of a sudden millions. Then suddenly, an event takes place, I believe August 20th, 1978, in a city called Abadan. Abadan was where the refineries were at. It's like a peninsula type of a place, really nice place. And they had a movie theater called Cinema Rex. The reason why I know it's around August 20th, around that time is because I'm October 20th, 1978. So I'm post Cinema Rex fire. That's when I'm born. So this theater has 400 people there. Wives, mothers, kids, fathers. They're watching movies in Iran. Like movies was a big deal. And everybody's at the movies. It was always sell, selling out. They're at the movies. So somebody comes and closes the door, locks it, puts the place on fire. 400 innocent people died that night. Across the street is a police station, by the way. So Khomeini and his people blamed Savak for doing it, which is Shah's uh, secret service. The Shah's people are like, we didn't do this. And they're blaming it on Khomeini's people to create a blame. Now, no one till today can 100% say whether it's Savak or whether it's Khomeini's people. But all we know is this took place. And the group that was able to get the most mileage out of this wasn't Shah, it was Khomeini. And all of a sudden, there was an uprising. He's killing innocent people, he's now worth a billion dollars, he's so powerful. And Shah's like, what do I do about this? He calls US, oh, don't worry about it. Kissing, hey, don't worry about it, it's okay, nothing's a big deal, I need help, it's nothing. And then all of a sudden, it was too late, way too late. By that time, Jimmy Carter calls him and says, I think you need to leave your country. And what does Shah do? January 16th, Shah and his family leave Iran. And they leave, completely leave Iran. And a couple weeks after that, on February 1st, Khomeini shows back up to Iran, first time in 14 years. And when he shows up, he lands at the airport. They had to move because people couldn't even let this guy get out. And by the way, my family, I had a group of people in my family that were so glad the Shah was done because no man should be worth a billion dollars. And the Shah was rich at that time. No man should be worth a billion dollars. He lives in 10 different castles. Why should somebody be as rich as this man? And look at the celebration he put for the 2,500 years of Pahlavi and spent all this money for Iran and prestige and fame. It was like a party and it was the country's money. Why should he do something like that? It was an uproar. People were not happy about it. Anyways, Khomeini shows up. When Khomeini shows up, Immediately, he gets rid of a lot of the internal military. A lot of people get killed. A lot of people get killed. They were trying to run away. A lot of Shah's general get killed. You can see a list of them that get killed. Anyways, fast forward. November 79, you got 52 hostages that get taken under Khomeini from U.S. U.S. hostages are kept 1979, November. Then in 1980, Shah dies in Egypt of cancer. 1980 to 1988, war starts between Iran and Iraq. I live when this war happened in Tehran, Iran. That's why I never, I'll never forget us getting bombed 167 times in a day. I'll never forget the whistling sound. Our glass windows, all of them were taped up with X's. Okay, imagine four, two X's like this, they were all taped up because when glass would drop, our glass broke many times. When a glass would drop, you didn't want the glass to shatter everywhere. You want it to drop right there so your kids, you don't get all this cuts and all this stuff. Every window, imagine all your windows have tapes like that. That's what our windows look like. My dad would come with black tape, and it would tape everything up, right? No one's trying to be pretty. At this point, there's war going on, and you would hear all these, tabajo, tabajo, alamate, hermes, you know, the fact that a plane has crossed our borders. 
So that goes for eight years. 1.5 million lives. By the way, you know who supported Iraq? U.S. did. U.S. supported Iraq going against Iran. Why? U.S. was funding and helping out Saddam Hussein. They weren't helping Khomeini out at this time. And in 1981, January 20th, Reagan gets elected. The day he gets elected, they release the 52 hostages. And they come to U.S. Khomeini said, hey, you know what? I think this guy's going to go to war with us. Let's just release. So he wasn't afraid. The way he behaved, Khomeini was not afraid of Carter, but he was afraid of Reagan. He said, I think Reagan's going to do something to us. I don't think Carter's going to do anything because he's too nice of a guy. Nobody was afraid of Carter in Iran, but they were afraid of Reagan. That's the movement when you look at that. 88, Iran's Airbus plane gets shot down by U.S. ship, and they said it was an accident, but it cost 290 people's lives, innocent, 66 were children. That, I mean, if it happens to your country, you're going to say it's an accident. You're not going to believe it. So our Iran, is, the U.S. is saying it was an accident. We're sorry. Iran's saying, what do you mean you're sorry? 290 people, you're sorry. 66 kids, what's sorry? These are not military. This is not a war. You didn't bomb a place. You shot down one of our planes. So that's a conflict. Again, still today, no one really knows 100% whether it was an accident or intentional. Then in 1995, Clinton puts all these sanctions on them, 1995. 2003, Iran suspends their uranium enrichment project that they had. Okay, no problem. We're willing to agree to this because they wanted to go back and forth, negotiate. They want to export oil again. Hey, we got to sell this stuff because our country's got to stay put. And in 2006 to 2010, U.S. succeeds with four rounds of sanctions against Iran. Stop enriching uranium. Stop exporting uh, weapons you know, banking uh, restrictions and trade and travel restrictions. This is to Iran, four of them. So things are tough. So Iran's used to all this stuff over the last two decades because it constantly happens to them. 2012, Iran's currency loses 80% to the dollar, the record lowest they ever experienced. That was just seven years ago, by the way. And then outside of that, Obama strikes the deal with John Kerry and uh, Joe Biden, where they give Iran $150 billion. Some say it's $50 billion, and some say it was only $1.8 billion in cash. But regardless, they strike a deal with hopes of them no longer creating the uranium nuclear bombs. And in 2018, Trump comes and he says, nope. I am not going to do that deal. He withdraws from the deal with Iran. And then a couple months later after that, boom, new sanctions. And Iran's sitting there saying, wait a minute, what's going on over here? And then Iran's experiencing this. Okay? So this is a bit of backstory of what's going on. Now, let's talk presidency. Does it match what happens with certain presidents? So when Mohammad Reza Pahlavi was president from 41 to 79, this is during FDR, Truman, Eisenhower, Kennedy, LBJ, Nixon, Ford and Carter, keep this in mind. He got along with Eisenhower. He got along with Nixon. He got along with Ford. He didn't get along with Carter, and JFK wasn't a fan of him, and LBJ wasn't a fan of him. So he was kind of like going back and forth trying to figure out, so Eisenhower liked him, Nixon liked him, you know, certain Republican presidents liked him, but Democratic presidents didn't like him. So it was, you know, it was a battle. When one president would come, he could strike a deal. When the other president would come, he couldn't do any kind of a deal. So it's important to know that. And then after that, you know, Khomeini shows up 79 to 89 with Khamenei being the president of Iran. And then after that, then you have Rafsanjani from 89 to 97. Then you have Khatemei, Khatemei from 97 to 05. Then Ahmadinejad is from 2005 to 2013. And then Iran's current president is Hassan Rouhani, who's been president since 2013 to present. By the way, the supreme leader went from being Khomeini 
to them being Khamenei. Here's the one thing you got to know about Khamenei. While Shah was ruling Iran from 41 to 79, a lot of people complain about the fact that the Shah was worth $1 billion. According to Reuters, Reuters, Khamenei, the current supreme leader, for nearly 30 years, I want to say since 89, Khamenei, according to Reuters, is worth a minimum of $95 billion. And no one knows how he's worth $95 billion. A lot of people are saying he took the money from the Iranian people, from the government, and no one could figure it out because Khomeini was all about God, and Khamenei was a little bit about business. Khamenei was more business. Khomeini was more about, hey, I love Iran. I want to be able to do something. Khamenei was a little bit more the business guy. But those are some of the numbers you need to keep in mind about what's going on with Iran. Iran's got a lot of money. Khamenei's family and himself got very wealthy. Again, you can go verify this stuff and look it up for yourself. So, so you got to keep this in mind. A lot of people ask, is this ever going to stop, Pat? And my answer is, I don't think it's going to ever stop. Why? Here's why. The more conflicts in the Middle East, the more control. Who? U.S., U.K., the bigger empires. The more conflict in the Middle East, the more control. The less conflict, the more powerful they're becoming. Iran, from 63 to 78, they were growing steadily. They became a superpower in the Middle East. Everything was at peace. They're creating their own oil. They're creating their own commerce. They're creating their own military. Hey, 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 why is, the, why is Iran getting a little too powerful? We can't let that happen. Hey, coup. Give another coup. Here's a formula for a coup. Do another one. Do another one. Do another one. And typically, coups are caused by the following formula. Not all the time, but many times. This is how it takes place. When a Republican president is a president in the U.S., and somebody who's running Iran is pro-Israel, pro-business, pro-America, it's peace. No issues. Okay? Eisenhower, Shah. Nixon, Shah. Ford, Shah. No issues. We're good to go. When a Democratic president is president of the United States. And in Iran, they somewhat have a little bit of conflict with Israel. They're not fully pro-business. They're not fully pro-US. There's no conflict. But when a Democratic president is in US as a Democrat, and Iran is being led by somebody who is pro-Israel, pro-US, pro-Western, pro-capitalism, then there could be possible war. And then when there's a Republican president, and it's the complete opposite, it's also possible war. Now, this war is not a war. Let's go, you know, jets, fly and bomb. No, war could be a, you know, right now, Iran's calling this an economic terrorism, okay? Hey, they're hurting us economically, is what they're saying. This is economic terrorism. It doesn't necessarily have to, because sanctions, I can't make money. If I can make money, and China, India, all these countries are no longer buying from me, what am I going to do now? And this is why I put Venezuela, because Iran and Venezuela are facing similar problems. Sanctions, sanctions. This is why Iran and Venezuela, they get along, because they understand each other. And they say, we understand your pain. U.S. is kind of bullying you. You're also an oil country. You used to be one of the richest. Look at the sanctions. And Iran's, yeah, us too. Yeah, so there's a, there's a little bit of that going on there that they get along with. And Saudi Arabia doesn't want to see Iran be up there. Why? Because they want to compete in the oil and they want to have a monopoly there. They want to compete in our marketplace, right? And obviously, last but not least, Israel is not a fan of Iran. Because, you know, the whole thing, again, an enemy of an enemy is a friend. So all of those things taking place. So last but not least, this bullying thing that's taking place with superpowers. Very simple formula to bully a country like Iran. Very simple formula. Number one is create sanctions with strong requests. Strong sanctions. Very strong sanctions. You tie them up. Now, I was in, uh, where was I at? I was at uh, Cannes, France. I was staying at uh, Monaco, and I went to Cannes. And I'm in the beach and I'm talking to, I can't say the name, but I can just tell you a very high profile political leader 
in the Middle East that is running 21 countries financially. That's all I can tell you who this person is. And we're having an hour and a half conversation together. And he tells me, he says, look, I have a lot of allies in Iran. I got a lot of friends in Iran. He says, but I'm from one of the countries in the Middle East. He says, Pat, I can't do nothing with them. We had to cut every business ties, everything. Lending everything because of what U.S. said. Because if we're on the bad side of U.S., then a lot of the relationships we have have to go through U.S. because everybody wants to be good with the U.S. So the moment they had the sanctions, Iran felt it immediately. Immediately. Number two, formula to bully, is befriend and support their number one enemy. So what happens? Carter leaves. Khomeini's in Iran. U.S. supports who? U.S. supports Iraq. Saddam Hussein. Why? Because, remember, the president, uh, the the ruler of Iran, Khomeini at that time, was anti-U.S., anti-Israel, and the president of U.S. at that time was Reagan, pro-U.S. Hey, this is happening? No problem. We're going to befriend your who? We're going to befriend your enemy, which is Saddam Hussein. And one and a half million people get killed. So, So that's the part about befriending the enemy. Number three, infiltrate the nation with opposition. Internally. Send people internally to create opposition internally. And last but not least, it's a very simple formula that's used for a long, t- very, very long time. Create an internal division. When you create an internal division, it's very simple. They did it with the Shah. Pin the people against the Shah. For what? Everybody's creating jobs. People are making money. Why? If you ever go study different revolutions, the one thing that you'll notice about the Iranian revolution against all the other revolutions, French revolution, all the other revolutions, there's four things all the revolutions have in common. None of those four were happening in Iran. None of them with the Shah. Why did it take place? The word spreading this campaign message has so much influence. And again, it started with Carter, UK, US, CIA, MI6, US, UK again. Let's divide Iran. And this is the formula that what history tells us. So, look, in closing, I want to share my final thoughts, hopefully to the people in Iran. We got a lot of Valuetainers in Iran and even other folks around the world that are here. This is what I would tell you. Today, I had a former FBI agent who retired two years ago, 30 years, FBI agent undercover. He worked with Russian mafia, uh, three La Cosa Nostra families. He worked with Sinaloa cartel. He worked undercover on a lot of different projects, right? Very decorated. Sylvester Stallone's doing a movie on his book that just came out. He and I are sitting here in our office. We're talking. And it gets a little heated at one point. I said, listen, you know, what's this whole story with Apple? You know, government telling Apple you should give us all the access to the information because uh, if a terrorist uses the phone, we need to know this kind of stuff. You know, and FBI is going to the DMV to get all these pictures, ID to track citizens. What's this all about? Now, this never got approved. And he says, look, I'm not telling you they're doing the right thing or the wrong thing, but here's what I can tell you. He says, technology is outpacing and out advancing our laws. The laws that we have today were written 60 years ago. The laws are not adjusted to today's times and speed. We have to understand that speed is so fast that the laws have to be adjusted because the crisis is no longer a nuclear war. It's a cybersecurity war, and we have to be prepared for that. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. And I sat there and I said, you know what, that's a pretty interesting thing to say to the Iranian people. Watch this. A lot of Iranians' principles worked pre-social media, pre-internet. A lot of it worked. Iran has to figure out who they want to be. Look, a lot of women in Iran look at women in the U.S. and they're like, wait a minute. Was there really a billionaire, youngest billionaire, 20 years old, 21 years old, she's worth a billion dollars running a company? General, is that really happening? Are women really running multiple businesses? And you know, everywhere you look at, they're being, how come we don't have that in Iran? They're thinking that. 
opportunity to become an entrepreneur. Are you kidding me? Barack Obama's a president, now a former apprentice, he's a president. I want those kinds of opportunities as well in Iran. So either those talents are gonna be inspired to leave and come to America, just like my family and many Iranians came over here, or Iran's gotta kinda adjust and say, look, what do we wanna do? What direction do we wanna go? What principles are working and adapt? Because the same old principles in today's times and today's speed, today's technology, today's social media, are gonna constantly get pushed back and then eventually you're gonna have to face with some kind of bullies here very soon. So it's like a guy who is 5'6", 128 pounds, fighting a guy that's 6'5", 280 pounds, black belt, six degree, jujitsu trained UFC, it's not a fight, and sometimes like Rouhani, the president recently in front of a congregation gets up and he says, when we say death upon America, we're not saying death upon the American people, we're saying death upon Trump and John Bolton and the leaders of America. That's really what we're saying, and people are like, oh, okay. What do you mean, oh, okay? It's still death upon the president of the United States that you're talking about in a speech publicly recorded, being shown all over the news nationwide. So Iran has to also pick their fights and know some of these allies have the right relationship that you need for these other countries to do business with you. So I hope Iran is going to kind of make the right maneuvers long term, not just right now based on, hey, nobody can push us around. Again, I'm giving you my thoughts. Thanks everybody for listening. And by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to Valuetainment on iTunes, please do so. Give us a five star, write a review if you haven't already. And if you have any questions for me that you may have, you can always find me on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Just search my name, Patrick B. David. And I actually do respond back when you snap me or send me a message on Instagram. With that being said, have a great day today. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.